Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, because they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin that's cock spelt with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. so much for listening to the podcast and this is part three of my lame attempt at a true crime podcast so check out part one and two if you haven't but here's some of the golden magic you may have missed i was whistling picking flowers swaying in the southern breeze you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain
I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. Before we jump into it, I do want to thank a heap of people for sending me some good vibes and also a lot of people for rating the podcast this week. It was super helpful and we got to number five in the music history charts, which was fun. Thank you. So Mitch Gray in the UK for a great review. Thanks, mate. Chris Dash, Tommy Quirk, Will Gardner, M the Deer Crusher from the Chess Hunt Motorcycle and Rollerblade Club. Alex Hash 45, Liam 345, Carrie $32, William Peter, Go Minnesota Wild, Ben Galachi, Alex Wabry, TM Melbourne, Tip Owens, Camo Rocker, Gaz Bowen, Box Office Bump, Dan Dan Balam, Tessie 88, Luke and Dave from the Chess Hunt Motorcycle Rollerblade and Picnic Club, Scott Hughes, Steve Schenk, Scott Hughes, Steve Schenk, Ross Hetherington, Glenn Howard, Scott Hughes, Steve Schenk, Scott Hughes, Steve Schenk, and also Tony Mann in New York City for some great rock stories. Thanks, mate. And one of the stories might pop up in this episode. Thanks again, guys. The reviews really do help. I know I bang on about it, but yeah, they're super duper helpful. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And Scott Hughes and Steve Schenk. Thanks, mates. All righty. Let's get into it. Scott Whelan from the Stone Temple Pilots was busted in 1995 for heroin and cocaine possession, again in 2001 for battery, again in May 2003 for drug possession, again in 2003 after a car accident and he was arrested for driving under the influence and released on bail, also in November 2007 after another car crash. And here's Scott Whelan talking about battery in prison. Uh, yeah, you know what? Well, you've heard of a pocket, right? Right. All right. So uh, you, you can make this thing in, in jail. You know, um, it's actually the hardcore criminals who have done like state time. Uh-huh. You know, that that like that that taught us like uh, low level criminals how to you know pleasure yourself. So what you do when you get tired of your hand, of your hand, uh-huh. you know, see, and you've worked every possible configuration of two hand uh, uh, mutual head. sex that you can <laughs> right. do. You take a rubber cleaning glove, you uh, you get a, a towel, it's about Write this big, this a, a medium-sized towel, you place the rubber cleaning glove in the towel, wrap it up uh, into a roll rather loosely, then you take the whole package and you stick it inside of a sock, okay? Right, right. And then you take the outside <laughs> oh of the cleaning God. glove and you wrap it around the outside, barely, um, so it forms like a collar, and, and then, so you, then, then you fill it fill it up with, uh, with uh, like, cocoa butter or, or, or hand lotion. Voila! And then, gel uh, there you go. Voila. Have you, have gel you, box. Have you used it since you've been out? Uh, you really don't need to. You've got you know, that beautiful... Yeah, I, I haven't had felt the, the need to, but um, Eric has uh, become, uh, you know, a, a true She showed up at my house one day. Uh, in, in, in making and constructing a Fifi. Hence the Fifi. <clears throat> I got it. Great, yeah.
James Brown was arrested a few times in his life, beginning with a three-year prison stint at 15 for breaking into cars. And in the 1980s, he served two years of a six-year sentence for drug and weapons charges. And between 1987 and 1995, he was arrested four times for spousal assault and again in 2004. Tonight, as the American Music Awards pays honor to the industry's best and brightest shining stars, there is one who will not be heard from. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer James Brown, the godfather of soul, is behind bars in a South Carolina prison. As Marcus Jones reports, the one known as the hardest working man in show business, who was always quick to lend a hand to someone in need, is now in need of help himself. He's often imitated, but he's never been duplicated, or so the saying goes. At age 55 or 60, depending on whose account you believe, James Joe Brown Jr. is a living legend. Tonight, the music world will pay tribute to a direct descendant of James Brown's legacy, Michael Jackson. The American Music Awards is honoring Jackson for two special achievements. The international success of his current album, Bad, and his role as a music video pioneer. But little, if anything, will be said at tonight's big show about this pioneer. That's because the man who many used to call the hardest working man in show business is now doing hard time in a South Carolina prison. Another chapter in a rags to riches story that began 33 years ago with the release of this song. Please, please, please was James Brown's first big hit. Since 1956, he has had more than 115 records on Billboard magazine charts. The most popular of all being his 1965 sold classic, I Feel Good. While his music may still make people feel good, in recent years, Brown has been plagued by trouble. Drugs, back taxes, and a car chase that landed him in jail for six years have wreaked havoc on his personal and professional life. The man who, in the 60s, took it upon himself to use his influence to encourage kids to stay in school and stay away from drugs, appears to be on a desperate downward spiral. No one disputes that James Brown led police on a wild car chase across the Georgia-South Carolina border last year. The question is whether his punishment befits his crime. Whether Brown's charity and civil rights activity shouldn't be weighed as mitigating factors. After all, it was Brown who in 1968 sought and received government permission to perform for U.S. troops in Vietnam. That same year, he performed concerts like this one in Boston to prevent blacks from rioting after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. This country owes a great thing to James Brown, and we're lucky that we have him here tonight with us. Give another round of applause for James Brown.
Wilson Pickett was arrested in 1991 for drunk driving, also in 1992 for hitting an 86-year-old with his car while drunk, and in 1996 for assaulting his girlfriend who refused to press charges, but police charged him with cocaine possession. Here's his masterpiece, In the Midnight Hour, which he co-wrote with Steve Cropper at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, which, three years later, was the site of Martin Luther King's assassination. David Bowie was arrested in March 1976 after being caught with possession of half a pound of weed, but the charges were later dropped. Mr. Bowie maintains his innocence. He's never been arrested before in his life, and I think it's quite obvious uh, a man of his reputation that uh, if he were in fact involved in drugs in any way, he would have been arrested numerous times. What's your, uh, your reaction to the treatment that you have received in this city? I was... Um, I thought I was treated very fairly. I thought everybody acted like gentlemen. Of how, do you, how do you feel about the police? I just said. <laughs> well, specifically about the police. They were very, very kind, very courteous.
John Mayer was arrested in 2001 for driving with a suspended licence, but the case was dismissed one month later. Who says I can't get stoned? Turn off the lights and the telephone. Me and my house alone. Who says I can't get stoned? Who says I can't be free from all of the things that I used to be? Rewrite my history. Who says I can't be free? It's been a long night in New York City. It's been a long night in Baton Rouge. I don't remember you looking any better. But then again, I don't remember you. Willie Nelson has logged three arrests, all for weed. In 1977, 1994, and 2010 on his tour bus. Willie Nelson busted over the weekend for marijuana possession. Nelson's tour bus got stopped about 80 miles east of El Paso. Agents found six ounces of marijuana on the bus. Now, Hudspeth County Sheriff's deputies arrested him, and he is now free on bond. But the Hudspeth County Sheriff, Arvin West, told the El Paso Times, quote, he could get 180 days in county jail, which if he does, I'm going to make him cook and clean, end quote. Now, he also went on to say that he can wear the stripy uniforms just like the other ones do. Nelson's court date has not yet been set. Here's Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, Chris Christopherson and Jamie Johnson with Roll Me Up. Roll me up and smoke me when I die. And if anyone don't like it, just look them in the eye. I didn't come here and I ain't leaving, so don't sit around and cry. Just roll me up and smoke me when I die. Now you won't see no sad and teary eye. When I get my wings and it's my time to fly. Call my friends and tell them there's a party, come on by. Now just roll me up and smoke me when I die. Roll me up and smoke me. Another very famous man, Willie Nelson, who I had on the show recently, <laughs> who I absolutely loved. And this is what he had to say about you, Mr. Lyon. Do you take a lot of it? I think some people have more tolerance, you know, for smoking pot than others. And I've, I know people can take one hit and just go to sleep completely. And other guys that can smoke a lot. You know, me and Snoop smoke a lot. And in every country we've been in, I guess. Uh, you know, I was in Amsterdam one time, and Snoop called me and wanted me to sing on his record. And I said, okay. He said, where are you? And I said, in Amsterdam. So we caught the next plane and come over. And we recorded a song together. You and Snoop yeah. go to Amsterdam, the, the mecca of dope, really. And you both have a load of it and then write some music together. Now we can go to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> so he's landed you right in it there, Willie Nelson. Wow. That's special, man. I mean, I love Willie Nelson. I'm going to give you a story real quick, not to take up too much of your time, but on that trip in Amsterdam, we had so much fun. We, you know, we was, our minds was gone, so we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we ordered some food, and they brought the food in through the drive through <laughs> so they had the box of chicken right here. So me and Willie sat side by side, and we put our hands in at the same time and grabbed the same piece of chicken. <laughs> And I said, you know what? That's yours, Willie. (laughs) (laughs) 
Kurt Cobain was arrested in 1986 for spray painting the phrase ain't got no whatchamacallit on cars and buildings and he also used to spray paint God is gay on pickup trucks. A phrase he used later in the Nirvana song Stay Away. of a heavier one. Drummer Jim Gordon, who co-wrote Layla with Eric Clapton and played drums on the Derek and the Dominoes album, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs, was arrested, charged and convicted of murdering his mother in 1983 and sentenced to 16 years. He was eligible for parole in 1991, but his parole was denied and has been denied numerous times since as he has refused to turn up to his parole meetings and he's still in prison. great Merle Haggard had a few run-ins with the law. Merle's father died in 1946 when he was nine years old and he started playing up. At 12, his mother sent him to a juvenile detention centre for a weekend to try and straighten him out, but his behaviour didn't improve. And at the age of 13, he was stealing and writing bad checks. And in 1950, he was caught shoplifting and sent to a juvenile detention centre. He did a few more stretches in juvie and one time he escaped and when recaptured he did 15 months in a high security prison and on release was sent back pretty quickly after beating a boy during a robbery. In 1957 he was arrested again for robbing a Bakersfield roadhouse and tried to escape from Bakersfield jail and was sent to San Quentin prison where he was released in 1960. In 1972 California Governor Ronald Reagan granted him a full and unconditional pardon for all his past crimes. Just a quick side rabbit hole on San Quentin Prison. Johnny Cash did two gigs there. The second time was on February the 24th, 1969, and it was released as an album and a TV documentary called At San Quentin. And the single, Boy Named Sue, was taken from this album, and it was Johnny Cash's only top 10 single in the US. Anyway, his first performance at the prison was in 1958, 
when Merle Haggard was a prisoner there and Merle was inspired to try to turn his life around and pursue music after seeing Johnny perform. B.B. King also recorded a live album there and won a Grammy in 1990 for the album, Live at San Quentin. And in 2003, Metallica shot the film clip for Saint Anger at the prison. And it was the first video to feature new bass player, Robert Trujillo. Some famous inmates who are attached to famous music who have spent some time at San Quentin. Charles Manson, who will forever be attached to Helter Skelter by the Beatles. And Richard Ramirez, who is attached to ACDC's Night Prowler. A hunted fugitive with just two ways Outrun the law or spend my life in jail I'd like to settle down, but they won't let me A fugitive must be a rolling stone There's always one more city I'm on the run The highway is my home WCPX-TV Orlando Michelle Morrow with tonight's news Meteorologist Pamela Kister And Mike Storms with sports This is News Night 6 Looks pretty tame tonight, but what happened here last night would make most of us sick. Hello everyone, thanks for joining Newsnight 6. The club owner says it happens in big cities everywhere. Last night it happened in Orlando, something you would never expect to see in public. And in the end, two men arrested on charges almost beyond belief. Newsnight 6 reporter Shepard Smith joins us live outside the club Space Fish on Church Street with this exclusive report. Michelle, we must warn what you are about to see and hear is quite graphic, but it's true. Happened at the club Space Fish behind me last night. A band called Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies performing at a club that prides itself in its words on having shows on the cutting edge. People paid $7 to watch a man defecate into his own hand while he was nude. And that is just the beginning. This is the Space Fish Cafe. Tuesday, they say, is a dead night. Monday, apparently, was not. Mike Brown owns the place. I would say that you never really know what's going to happen when Gigi Allen performs. This is Gigi Kevin Allen, arrested when police raided the club. What did he do? He relieved himself and did it all. I mean, you name it, it was probably happening. A police report is quite explicit. It says the singer took his own feces, began throwing it at people, and eating it. He was actually off the stage. He was right down here off the stage. Just stepped off and decided to do it. <laughs> Most everybody here probably thought it was funny and was, I don't think, I really don't think people were shocked. People outside were. We heard a commotion and we came outside and the guy ran out the door naked and he was throwing chairs and he had used the bathroom on himself and was throwing it on the people as they came out the uh, club. Butler says strange activity is nothing new here. I think it's a bunch of well-to-do white kids who come down here and when they let their hair down, they let it down too much and it caught up with them last night. Allen wasn't the only one naked. Donald Sachs arrested as well. He was naked and he, he was uh, smashing the mic into his head and rolling in glass and everything. Like I said, it's not very typical, but 
these were things that we expected. We Not out of the ordinary, says Brown, happens in clubs all over the country. This is the first bit of big city to come to Orlando. And Gigi and the murder junkies, as they're called, are welcome to come back. The club owner says next time it will be under his terms if it happens. He says Orlando simply isn't ready for this sort of activity. The owner of the club says that he spoke with his lawyer this afternoon and said, go ahead and talk to reporters. They're celebrating our report now, saying the publicity will do you good. Michelle. Okay, beyond words for me to even comment. Thanks, Shepard. I missed Gigi Allen in episode 8 and 9's name changes as he was actually born Jesus Christ Allen and I also missed him in episode 13 and 14's Dead by 40 as he planned a suicide on stage but died from an accidental heroin overdose at the age of 36 in 1993. Gigi was arrested 52 times but the most serious one was for a charge of assault with intent to do great bodily harm less than murder when Gigi cut a female friend, burned her and drank her blood but he claimed it was consensual, but he still did 15 months in prison. I was chatting online to my new buddy, Tony Mann in New York, who played drums with Gigi Allen, DD Ramone, and a bunch of other great artists. And Tony told me that Gigi was actually talking about a mass shooting, then a suicide at a gig. And Tony is convinced that he would have done it if the heroin overdose hadn't happened. Fiona Apple has canceled her show scheduled tonight in Austin after a drug arrest last night in West Texas. Apple was arrested for hashish possession after her tour bus was stopped at the Sierra Blanca checkpoint. That's on I-10 East of El Paso. You might recall that's the same place where Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg were arrested for marijuana possession in separate incidents. Apple spent the night in the Hudspeth County Jail. Tonight's show at the Moody Theater downtown will be rescheduled and tickets will be honored at that later date. Here's Fiona Apple's criminal. In 1993, Eddie Vedder was arrested at 5am after a night of drinking with members of Urge Overkill. A fight had broken out when a local was harassing Eddie and Blackie Onassis from Urge Overkill told the guy to move on. The man said something to Eddie Vedder who then spat at him and a fight broke out. Eddie spent the remainder of the evening in jail.
Tattoo's bass player Adam Clayton was arrested in 1989 in Ireland for cannabis possession. Adam had had a bit of a booze and drug problem in the 80s and 90s, and he actually missed a concert in Sydney in 1993 after a night of boozing, and his bass roadie, Stuart Morgan, filled in. This was a bit of a wake-up call moment for Adam, and he sort of got his shit together after that. Vaughan was arrested in 1979 when an off-duty police officer witnessed him snorting coke at a gig in Houston. Prince was arrested in March of 1980 while on tour opening for Rick James. Prince's keyboard player, Dr. Fink, suggested that Prince should have a megaphone as a stage prop, and the next day they boarded a plane that had an emergency megaphone on board. And Prince didn't have any carry-on baggage, so he convinced Dr. Fink to stash the bullhorn in his bag. The passenger witnessed the theft and she alerted flight attendant of the crime. There was a sky marshal on the plane who searched the passengers and found the megaphone in Fink's carry-on and Prince volunteered to be arrested with him. And at the jail, Prince signed autographs and posed for photographs and was released without charge.
Jack White from the White Stripes pleaded guilty to assault and battery after a fight with Blonde Vondi's lead singer Jason Stolsteimer when they were both attending a concert. White was ordered to pay a $500 fine plus $250 in court fees and ordered to attend anger management classes. Jimi Hendrix was arrested in 1969 in Canada for drug possession after customs officials found what they thought to be heroin and hash in his luggage, but he was found not guilty and acquitted of both charges. instrumentals but I do like the before mentioned Stevie Ray Vaughan's instrumental version of Jimi Hendrix's Little Wing. Joe Armstrong from Green Day was arrested and charged with drink driving in 2003 and he was also arrested in Milwaukee in 1995 for flashing his ass at an audience. And drummer Trey Cool on the phone the day after the show blamed it all on cops being angry that Green Day wouldn't let them hang out backstage. I can't really see if he would have moved the crowd from behind my drum set <laughs> if he, you know, all I would see was his front, obviously. So right, and you didn't see anything? To ask, you should ask someone else that saw the show. Basically, they arrested him because they were mad that we kicked him out, you know, that we didn't want to hang out with cops, you know. <laughs> we basically, uh, you know, 
upset upset somebody and uh, decided to use his his big gun. Green Day spokespeople say Billy Joe's dropped a trowel on stage many times in the past, but has never been arrested for it before, so it's a first. With Billy Joe bailed out for $111, and according to the cops forfeiting that money when he missed a 9 a.m. appointment on Wednesday, Green Day returned to the road, which is where we had cut up with the band earlier during a tour stop in Detroit. Tonight, a rock and roll superstar is arrested on fugitive charges in West Palm Beach. David Crosby, formerly of the group Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, turned himself into FBI agents and was arrested by West Palm Beach police. He's been a fugitive since failing to appear for a Texas bond hearing in Dallas last month. Texas authorities were trying to revoke an appeal bond after Crosby was arrested on drug and weapons charges in California. That arrest came while the rock star was appealing a Dallas drug conviction. Crosby's only comment to reporters on being led to the Palm Beach County jail today. Wish me luck. talking about how he transitioned from hippie to gun owner. Is it true that why you were arrested a couple of times for concealed gun possession was you said that you did not want to end up like John Lennon? I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't have any guns around until the, uh, the uh, tape murders happened. Uh, that crazy son of a bitch. Did you know, did you know Sharon? No, but that house belonged to Terry Melcher, who was one of the guys who produced the birds. So I had been there many times, and I lived only a half a mile from it. And I, I really was so happily hippie, but I didn't really remember how much nut butter there is out there in the world. And uh, realizing that there were people as evil and as bad as that guy around, 
kids sort of make me paranoid. Uh, now, paranoia is excessive fear, and often not fully justified fear. So I'll call it paranoia. Uh, nobody broke into my house then. Somebody did try it later, but I shot at him. Uh, it, uh, I, had, I had learned how to shoot. That's where I lived. When, I lived out in the country. And we raised avocados and lemons, and, and my dad went off to make movies. And uh, when you turned about 12 or 13, you got a 22, you know, rifle. And I pick lemons off the tree with it. And it was fun. Uh, and it wasn't like now. It wasn't gangbangers carrying nine millimeters around with 35 clips, you know, 35 shot clips. Uh, it was a whole other ball of wax. It was very American. It was very okay. And uh, it's unfortunately gone very downhill from there. Um, but I had become proficient with guns, and I thought it was just a skill set that you learned, and it was good. Uh, unfortunately, carrying them uh, is remarkably stupid. And I have done a few remarkably stupid things in my life. Uh, and I, I regret it, but it's. I think my biggest regret isn't you know being arrested for carrying a gun or having a gun. My biggest regret is the time I wasted in my life. Uh, not to completely turn left as fast as I can, uh, but I, I regret that more. The Eagles' Glenn Fry was arrested in 1973 for drug possession and public intoxication. Janis Joplin was arrested in 1969 after cursing at police officers during a concert. The charges were thrown out as it was argued that the cursing came under free speech. Elvis Presley was charged with assault and disorderly conduct in October 1956, but the charges were later dropped. Steven Tyler was arrested in New York in 1967 for pot possession and also again in 1983 for cocaine possession. And here's Tyler talking about his demons. It almost killed me. It almost killed me. I'm telling you, you're looking at a miracle. I'm one of those guys that came back. I might not have. I might have gone the way of everybody else. Steven Tyler is the lead singer of Aerosmith now enjoying a second life as one of the most popular hard rock bands in America. The group had a string of hits in the 70s. It also had a reputation as the heaviest drug-using band around. And then the party ended. By 1980, Steven Tyler was heavily addicted to heroin, and so were other members of Aerosmith. Did the heroin use affect your music? Positively. We broke up because of drugs. I took it all away, and we didn't even see it. Until somebody said, hey man, you don't even have a band anymore. The one-time rock star soon found himself living in a rundown New York City hotel and buying heroin on the street. Several times, Tyler overdosed, but even that didn't stop him from using. I thought things were okay. I never thought in a million years I was as bad as I was. And that's the thing with drugs. It just, it took me to my knees. It just saw, it let me see that it could too happen to me. I said it cannot, and it could too, and it did. 
Eric Clapton was arrested in 1968 along with Neil Young for pot possession. And Clapton was also arrested in 1975 for being drunk in public at the Tulsa airport. Louis Armstrong was arrested way back in 1930 for pot possession and spent the night laughing it up in a jail cell and received a six-month jail sentence, which was later suspended and received a $1,000 fine. I see skies of blue and clouds of white The bright blessed day, the dark sacred night and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs They think to myself four times, three of them unnecessarily. But did you think whether it was good or needed? Sound of 2,500 cockheads. All right, let's move on. I see them blue. Bob Marley was arrested in London in 1977 for pot possession. Joe Cocker was arrested twice in Australia, once for pot possession in Adelaide in 1972. And he was also arrested in Melbourne after a drunken brawl and was deported. Stewart is facing charges after getting into a New Year's Eve brawl at the Breakers in Palm Beach. Police say Stewart and his son lost their cool when a security guard denied them access to a private party. Witnesses say Stewart's son then shoved the guard and the singer punched him in the ribs. Both are scheduled to face a judge next month. Ram it, ram it, ram it up your poop shoe. Cornhole. Ram it, ram it, ram it, ram it up your poop shoe. Frank Zappa was arrested in 1965 for making a fake pornography audio tape when he was set up by police officers. And in 1938, a 23-year-old Frank Sinatra was arrested on a charge called seduction, which I googled, and was when a man convinced an unmarried woman to sleep with him with a promise of marriage. And then the charges were dropped when it was discovered that the woman was already married. Elton John was arrested in 1979 for hitting a hotel doorman with his cane. And we can't have an arrested episode without George Michael. 
I actually rate George Michael pretty highly as a pop artist. The first Wham! album called Fantastic has some great pop tunes and great lyrics for a 20-year-old. And his first arrest and the publicity was a bit of a joke in my opinion. And George was a champ by mocking it in a later film clip. On April 7th, 1998, at approximately 16.48 hours, that's 4.48 p.m., Beverly Hills police officers arrested the singer known as George Michaels. Mr. Michaels was arrested for a violation of 647A of the Penal Code, engaging in a lewd act. The arrest was made by members of the Crime Suppression Unit at Will Rogers Park, located at Cannon and Lomitas in Beverly Hills. Mr. Michaels was subsequently booked at the Beverly Hills Police Department Jail. Mr. Michaels posted bail in the amount of $500. He was released at approximately 20.05 hours or 8.05 p.m. Mr. Michaels is scheduled to appear in the Beverly Hills Municipal Court on May 5, 1998 at 08.30 hours. Having already pleaded guilty to drug driving, pop legend George Michael arrived to face the music. A heavy police presence was outweighed only by fans shouting his name. The singer entered on foot he would leave in the back of a prison van. In the early hours of the 4th of July this year, George Michael's Range Rover crashed into this branch of Snappy Snaps in Hampstead. The police arrived to find the 47-year-old slumped over his steering wheel. Blood tests proved he'd been smoking cannabis. The word wham now marks the car's point of impact. Hey, George Michael has a history of brushes with the law. In 1998, he was famously convicted of engaging in a lewd act in a public toilet in Los Angeles after a police officer accused the singer of exposing himself. Michael was fined £500 and given 80 hours of community service. In 2007, he was found guilty of driving while unfit through drugs. He was banned from the roads for two years and given 100 hours of community service. And the following year, he was arrested for drugs possession in North London, once again in a public lavatory. He was given a caution. 
District Judge John Perkins told George Michael that he'd taken a dangerous and unpredictable mix of drugs. He banned him from driving for five years before sentencing him to eight weeks in prison. There were gasps and tears from fans within the court's public gallery. George Michael smirked in utter disbelief before being led away by two security staff. He was spared being handcuffed. So I know there's probably a bunch of stories I've missed, but I need to end it somewhere. And before I get to my favourite artist to be arrested, I want to include a funny, interesting, or in this case, just fucking sick story about the week's topic, Arrested. I actually don't know this band, but here's the story. Now, the former lead singer with the Welsh rock group Lost Profits has pleaded guilty to a string of sex offences, included the attempted rape of a baby. Cardiff Crown Court heard that Ian Watkins was seen on video abusing a child and that he'd spoken of plans to get a baby hooked on hard drugs by blowing crystal meth smoke into its face. Our Home Affairs correspondent Andy Davies has this report and just to warn you, some of the details are extremely disturbing. They sold three and a half million albums, lost profits. The rock group whose fan base stretched across the Atlantic and whose frontman Ian Watkins had the swagger to match the lyrics. In court today, he was barely audible, offering guilty pleas to a series of horrific sexual offences, including the attempted rape of a boy who was just 11 months old. And in the dock beside him was the mother of that boy, as well as the mother of a little girl, both of whom pleaded guilty to helping the 36-year-old singer sexually assault their babies. They can't be named for legal reasons. This investigation has uncovered the most shocking and harrowing child abuse evidence I've ever seen. There is no doubt in my mind that Ian Watkins has exploited his celebrity status in order to abuse young children. The attempted rape happened at this London hotel last April. His mother, who's from Yorkshire, took him there for Watkins to abuse, and he filmed it. At the singer's home in Pontypridd, the police, with the help of GCHQ accessing his passwords, found more images of severe child abuse on his computers and phones, as well as a stream of highly distressing text exchanges between Watkins and the two women. The exchanges contain grotesque and often sadistic references about what they'd like to do to the children, including talk at one point of teaching one of the babies how to take drugs. Much of the detail is simply too horrific to report. Ian Watkins was a determined paedophile, said the prosecution today. South Wales police declared they'd work tirelessly to seek out any other victims. But did they miss previous warnings about Watkins? Four other forces had passed on information, and now the police watchdog is investigating whether South Wales police should have acted sooner. Ian Watkins and the two women will be sentenced next month. Andy Davis, Channel 4 News, Cardiff Crown Court. Now, it's a story as depressing as it is familiar. Yet again, an abuser slips through the net because those who attempt to tell the authorities what was happening are simply ignored. A damning report has revealed how police wasted four years bringing the paedophile rock star Ian Watkins to justice. Time and again, officers were warned about his behaviour by his ex-girlfriend, amongst others. Time and again, they decided the allegations were not worth investigating. 
Ian Watkins, once a rock star who sold three million albums worldwide and had legions of fans, now known as a predatory paedophile who's serving 35 years in jail. But who was left free to abuse children for years because of a catalogue of police failures. The verdict of a damning report which said he could have been stopped much sooner. Ian Watkins was free to continue offending because South Wales Police missed one opportunity after another to bring him in for questioning, to arrest him, to bring him to justice earlier. And at the heart of it was the way in which South Wales Police responded to the first person who came forward. That person was Watkins' ex-girlfriend, Joanne Majelix, who made numerous complaints about his behaviour to police. But she was ignored and dismissed because she was a sex worker, the report said, who the police felt lacked credibility. In a statement today, she said, the report finally vindicates me and accepts that from the outset I was telling the truth and trying to bring a serious criminal sexual predator to justice. Speaking on her behalf, her lawyer said she should never have been disregarded. The presentation of a laptop with indecent images that he had sent to her, her phone which they could access and find his ambition to abuse children in the future as well. There's the opportunity for them so they can set aside what they think of her, it doesn't matter because she was offering them independent, concrete evidence. In fact, today's report by the police watchdog found South Wales Police received six separate complaints and three phone tip-offs about Watkins and his abuse, generating eight police reports over a four-year period. All of them were ignored. The fact that there were four more years between 2008 and 2012 with countless number of, number of victims of child sexual abuse by Watkins, there have been so many missed opportunities that could have protected children and prevented harm coming to them. The force refused our request for an interview, instead issuing a statement saying, South Wales Police failed to listen and properly investigate information about Watkins's offending behaviour. For this, we are truly sorry, and have implemented a range of measures to improve the way we protect vulnerable people. Lessons which have come far too late for many of Ian Watkinson's victims. Sejal Karia, News at 10. Probably come as no surprise to you and after spending 10 minutes discussing it on the phone in which that time he could have done it but thinks it's better that I waste my time recording yet another fucking track just so he doesn't have to do anything so yeah you guess it this week there'll be no recapping the magic. So my favourite artist to ever be arrested, or more accurately, an artist that I love that I hadn't put in part one or part two that have already been released, when I realised I do a favourite, has to be Bon Scott. We covered his story a few weeks ago in the ACDC Bon Scott episode, so check that out if you haven't heard it. In 1969, Bon Scott was arrested in the Victorian coastal town of Janjuk, while his pre-ACDC band The Valentines were doing a two-week rehearsal block in Torquay. Police were tipped off that the band were using drugs by a rival band and Bon Scott was arrested for pot possession. And for double ACDC points, we also have this. Phil Rudd has been sentenced to months of electronically monitored home detention at his waterfront mansion in New Zealand. The 61-year-old had admitted threatening to kill as well as possessing drugs. He also got a dressing down from the judge who told him to clean up his long-standing addiction to meth. The way to the top 
just got eight months longer. Get a job, Carl. Get a uh, is that an appropriate way? Get a real job. Get a Phil Rudd's arrival in his blue Bentley was much more measured. How are you feeling today, Phil? Inside, he was a model occupant of the dock. His high-voltage career with ACDC spanned four decades, but a threat to kill his security chief and personal assistant last September brought that to an end. The court heard the 140-kilo martial arts expert was terrified. I would go round and check every window and door twice to make sure they were locked. Rudd admits the call was made during an ice-induced psychosis. This was a time that I was highly stressed to a point of nervous collapse. Rudd's lawyer argued his client should escape conviction so he could tour with ACDC, a tactic that succeeded twice in the last decade, but not today. Your place in the band, for the moment anyway, uh, does not exist. Life as a rock star has been both very kind and cruel to Phil Rudd. It's said that he has amassed a fortune of $60 million, but for the next eight months, this palace will be his prison. You breach that condition of your sentence, and I give you a stone-cold guarantee that's where you'll end up. Fewer dirty deeds might be a good start. Can't seem to learn much. In Tauranga, New Zealand, Damien Smith, 7 News. <laughs> Don't fuck with Uncle Phil. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And if you think I missed any good stories, please send them through to me at three weeks of arrested story is enough at I don't care.cockgoblin.com and I'll check them out. But seriously, you can say hi and follow the podcast, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, on Instagram and Facebook. And you can check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for playlists of all the songs used in this three-part episode, plus all past episodes and bonus episodes and some other golden magic. Please rate and review the podcast. It's so helpful. And we had a big jump in listens last week and some great chart numbers, so I appreciate that. So to end the podcast, I like to add, when I can, a lesser-known artist that qualifies for the week's topic. And for this week, we're going to use an old mate of mine, Tony Marks. And Tony was arrested years ago for driving under the influence when he saw a friend's car running on the way home from a night of boozing. His friend had gotten out of the car to chase the passenger for some reason. Tony turned the engine off and removed the keys and then he heard sirens behind him and saw a police car and was arrested but escaped jail time but lost his license for 12 months. Anyway, that's what Tony told me. Tony has just started a podcast too with footy legend Warwick Kappa called the T-Wiz Podcast, so check that out. And Tony also has a great new song out called The Devil and Mr. Redfern. This song has a special story behind it and also a weird personal connection to me about a girl Tony knew years ago called Jodie Turfrey, who was brutally murdered in Croydon, Victoria, aged 18. And me and one of my friends were actually questioned in relation to the murder as I worked nearby and we were seen in the area late at night after watching a movie. Anyway, the piece of shit Craig Redfern was arrested did his time and I think he killed himself a year or so after he was released. Anyway, sorry to bring the mood down. Thanks again for listening and I hope to see you next week. You can check out the Victims tab on the website, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole for some of Tony's music and you can click on the Golden Magic tab to see the film clip for this song. The Devil and Mr. Redfern, Tony Marks and Band featuring the great Paul O'Brien on the drums. Thanks again, folks. We'll see ya.
Steve Schenk.